Have you ever heard of a business that you would say, let's do more of something that we lose money on every time we engage in that activity? No, true. It's the, uh, what is it? The Costco hot dog, which has been $2.50. I would like that. Let's compare Medicaid to the Costco hot dog. This is the Generally Accepted Accounting Podcast. That's GAP for all you accounting nerds. It's a podcast produced by Casey Peterson, LTD, or a firm of CPAs and financial advisors based in Rapid City, South Dakota. We'll be talking about tax, finance, accounting, audit, and a bunch of other topics that sound really boring, but that we're going to make hip and cool. Or we'll try anyway. So stick around to learn more. Our managing shareholder, Mark Lyons, is back as we continue our healthcare series. This time, we start with Medicare allowable costs and activities. And then, we enter into the seedy underbelly of Medicare Advantage plans. Okay, it's not all that seedy, but it sure makes things complicated for critical access hospitals. Anyway, you'll learn about the difference between allowable costs and activities versus unallowable costs and activities. Turns out, those are not illegal things. Different kinds of cost centers and why Mark gets pretty fired up when it comes to TVs and telephones in hospital rooms. So, listen in to learn more. All right, everybody. Well, welcome back to the podcast. Um, today, we are here again with our managing shareholder, Mark Lyons, to talk about more exciting healthcare topics. Today, specifically, we're going to be talking about allowable costs. I personally have no healthcare background, so I can't wait to find out what that is. But, Mark, should we jump into it? Let's go. All right. All right. So we've got allowable costs and we've got unallowable costs and we've got allowable activities and we've got unallowable activities. So do you want to tell us the difference between all of those things? Yeah, these these are very, very important in the operations of a healthcare facility, because a lot of the times what we'll find is a hospital or a nursing home or, or a clinic will start going down a path that's going to put them in a situation where they're not going to be able to recover some of the costs that might be associated with a Medicare program. Some of those activities are not just the Medicare program, but their operations in general. Obviously, with Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement, when it's cost-based, the goal in, in the whole cost reporting process is to try to make sure that Medicare and Medicaid are pay- paying for their fair share mm-hmm. of costs, which really is what we're talking about when we're talking about allowable costs. Yeah. So the cost report takes us through this process of cost finding and making sure that we're handling allowable costs and unallowable costs appropriate to ultimately get to did Medicare underpay us or overpay us and do we owe money back or do they owe us? Okay. The accumulation of allowable costs is basically compared to what Medicare paid you during the year. And if they're short in their payments to you based on allowable costs, Medicare is going to owe you funding at the end of the year. And then the reverse is true. If they paid you too much during the year and you've not accumulated enough allowable costs, then we suddenly have a payment due back to Medicare. That's no fun. That's no fun at all. That's no fun. So, it's, a, it's a tiny bit like a tax return, it, except the government hasn't necessarily been paying you throughout the year, but you might owe back if they've been overpaying you. That's exactly what the Medicare cost report is. It's essentially a tax return in the healthcare world. Is one of those scenarios more common than another of owing more versus not no a fair share paid? Not really. Okay. Um because there's a lot of variables. So the the two primary variables are costs 
and volumes. So if your allowable costs are increasing and your volumes are staying relatively stable, more than likely you're going to have a receivable when you get to the end of the year because your costs have increased and volumes have remained relatively stable. Mm -hmm. So just think of it in terms of like cost per encounter, cost per day. Yeah. If your volumes are steady and costs are increasing, your cost per encounter or cost per day are increasing. And that's what creates the receivable. If the reverse is true, if your allowable costs are decreasing and your volumes are increasing, now we suddenly have a lower cost per visit mm -hmm. and a lower cost per encounter than what we have historically. And the historical data is what sets your rates. Uh -huh. okay. So as your cost per day, cost per encounter decreases, Medicare is operating under the assumption that everything stayed relatively the same. Mm -hmm. But when your your cost per encounter, cost per day decrease, they're still paying you like they paid you a year ago. Right. So it's all based on like prior year then? The Medicare rates are based on prior year. Okay. And there's some interim information that you provide to help set rates. But yes, for the most part, for the majority of your year, you're going to be operating under rates that were established on the prior 12 months. Okay. That's got to be frustrating for healthcare facilities because a ton can change in a year. I mean, pandemic notwithstanding, just legislation <laughs> right. can change. The makeup of the community that you serve can change on basically nothing that you have control of. So that's got to be frustrating. It's extremely frustrating and it can be detrimental from a operational standpoint if you don't know where you're at yeah. at a given point in time. Uh, we've had hospitals that will get to the end of the year and they could potentially owe a million dollars back to Medicare. Ooh. So if you're not planning for that throughout the year and you're, you don't have a pulse on where you're at, uh, yeah, it can be really bad, really bad for facilities. So we have tools that most of our hospital clients are using where they're monitoring this on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. So they know at any given point of the year, whether they're going to get to the end of the year and Medicare is going to owe them funding or if they're going to have a liability to Medicare. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's all hospitals should be doing that. All critical access hospitals should be doing that because if you if you don't know where you're at, it's hard to plan, especially if there's capital projects that you're, uh, you know, they're on the horizon, making decisions about financing versus spending down cash. This is a place where a lot of hospitals will get themselves in trouble because yeah. it's just not on their radar. Yeah, you thought you had a million bucks for that project. Turns out you need to pay Medicare, actually. right? There's also, not to get too much in the weeds here, but you also have the opportunity if you know where you're at throughout the year um, in terms of what your Medicare settlement's going to be. If Medicare is underpaying you, you can actually submit information to the intermediary for Medicare and they will adjust your rates. So if you're having serious cash flow problems because Medicare, something's changed in your operations and now suddenly we're being underpaid by Medicare, you can request to have your rates increased. Uh, so then you're recovering your costs as those services are being provided. There's also, this is where I said I didn't want to get in the weeds, but there's also <laughs> Medicare Advantage plans, which we're seeing a lot more of. Uh, those plans are not settled at the end of the year. In other words, the Medicare Advantage plans or Medicare Advantage patients that you're providing services to, there is no settlement for those services through the Medicare cost report. Uh, whatever you get paid is what it is. Mm -hmm. So, but if you don't have a contract with Medicare Advantage, 
by statute, they're required to pay your Medicare rates. So if you're not monitoring that, and because we're starting to see a lot of Medicare Advantage plans, if you're not adjusting your rates up to your cost, Medicare Advantage is underpaying you the entire year. And uh, you get to the end of the year and there's no way to recover that cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, this We've seen this uh, be a million dollar issue at larger hospitals. It's a lot to leave on the table. This is a, this, the Medicare Advantage plans are a huge hot topic right now uh, for facilities because if they're not managed appropriately, it can be detrimental for sure from a financial perspective. Because those, those plans are meant to help consumers, but they don't necessarily weigh what that does to a critical access hospital or anything like that. Is that kind of the thinking? Yeah. The, the medic, you see the commercials on TV, they're pushing the Medicare Advantage plans and they're not what they appear to be. I would say from a consumer perspective and for sure, not what they appear to be from a reimbursement perspective. They are very challenging in the fact that they require some unique pre-authorization for services. And if hospitals aren't careful, they'll end up with denied services, which is another big problem in Medicare Advantage plans. And what I'm afraid of is we are aware of some hospitals right now that are not accepting Medicare Advantage plans because they're such a nightmare to try to manage. Mm-hmm. They can't get paid for anything. And then from a consumer perspective, that's my biggest concern with Medicare Advantage plans is suddenly you only have one option in these small rural communities a lot of the times for, for health care. Yeah. And if those hospitals are being more cautious about accepting those Medicare Advantage plans, suddenly you have a, a patient who thought they were getting into a, a great solution for health care, and now they can't can't find a, anywhere to get, provide services or receive services. Right. So they're in their communities, it could be 100 and 200 miles or whatever to go to even find someone that will take their plan, which completely negates the purpose of having what they thought was going to be a great deal in the first place. Kind of puts them as a prior between a rock and a hard place because then it's like, well, I have to be cautious, make sure we're processing all this correctly, but also can't be over cautious to the point where I'm not serving the community. Yeah, it's a right. it's a huge predicament right now. I would say that those questions and conversations are probably the number one conversation we're having with our clients right now. Mm. It comes up almost during every meeting we have. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You're trying to serve your communities and your patients. But if it's a, if it's a logistic and administrative nightmare. Ugh. Yeah. And we're so we subscribe to, you know, the National Rural Health Association and American Hospital Association and all the state associations that we and the states that we work in. And I would say that top Medicare Advantage is probably a top three item for all of those um, organizations there. Everybody's trying to find a solution. Yeah. Uh, to the problem right now, but it's not an easy one to solve for sure. Yeah, but not. I want to hop back a second to something that you mentioned with um, our clients using tools that are monitoring things on a monthly basis. So just a little plug, can you talk at a high level, what are those tools that we have our clients using? Yeah, it's actually just uh, one Excel model that we've created. You enter statistics into it, patient days, uh, clinic visits, upload what's called the PSNR, which is the Medicare claims data into the model. You load your monthly trial balance into the, the model, and it goes through the calculations uh, to estimate what your Medicare receivable or payable is for that month. Um, and then it accumulates uh, over you know, the fiscal year. So by the time you're coming into the fourth quarter, you get to the end of the year, you know when the cost report actually gets filed, 
what that estimate is. And typically it's, you know, there's some times where there's changes that don't get incorporated into the model and we're, we're a little bit off when there's, but I wouldn't say we're ever really surprised. You know, yeah, okay. it, it's very reliable more than anything is you can't be operating in the blind and, and get to the end of the year, like I said, and have a million dollar payback and have right. no idea. So if in that scenario, if, if we're within a hundred thousand dollars of the million dollar payback, we feel pretty good about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you'll never be, it'll never be perfect uh, because there's just way too many variables when you actually start preparing the cost report and filing the cost report. There's going to be way too many variables. But if we, if you can get within 10%, yeah. most people feel pretty good about that. So you can take away 90% of the shock or yeah. the surprise. That... Yeah. Right. And the model that we put together also has dashboards in it. Mm-hmm. So it shows uh, 24 month trending information oh. on census, cost to charge ratios. Uh, it also has some other kind of non-cost report related items uh, like days revenue, days cash on hand, days revenue and accounts receivable. Just some some great trending information that really gives maybe those people that aren't real financially savvy. It gives great. them visuals that they can look at. And most people know that, you know, up is good and down is bad. <laughs> and how we've been doing over the last 24 months. So it's a great tool. It's a it's an awesome tool. Yeah. Anytime you can do data visualization where numbers are one thing, but context is another and show me a picture of what this means overall, um, historically, especially. So, yeah. The other thing the cost report model does is if you're trying to make spending decisions. So a common one that we get asked is uh, we just went through our health insurance renewal and our health insurance is going up 15%. And I need to know if I need to go out and find another carrier or really what are the impacts of that? Because if it's a it's a $300,000 a year increase in premiums, the reality of it is this Medicare is going to pick up a portion of that. And if you're cost-based on the Medicaid side, you're, you're going to have even more of that picked up by between Medicare and Medicaid. So the reality of it is that $300,000 increase sounds really bad, but it might actually be $150,000 uh, yeah. cash outlay. Medicare... Is such a big thing for these rural facilities because typically, if you look at Medicare and Medicaid, typically that's 60% of the volumes. Mm-hmm. So if you can manage those two payers well, uh, you've just managed 60%, 70% maybe of your entire revenue stream. Mm-hmm. So that's why these tools are so important. That's why it's so important to understand allowable costs, uh, allowable activities, so we kind of started going down that path and then we got distracted. But I, I think <laughs> I think that's okay because I, I think we've given some background as to yeah. why this is so important. Yeah. Hey, the title isn't written yet. We can change all of this. Right. <laughs> we have all the power to make up all of the words. It's totally fine. <laughs> but that is a good segue, I think, into what we started talking about, which is allowable, unallowable cost activities, all that stuff. Right. Uh, let's talk about unallowable activities first. And, and unallowable sounds bad. It does. It almost sounds like you're doing something illegal. <laughs> um, they're also referred to as non re- non-cost-based reimbursed areas. So it's something that's probably mission critical to the hospital and the community, but Medicare is not going to pay you on a cost-based reimbursement basis for those services. Common ones are assisted living facilities, Sure. Um, nursing homes. If there's a nursing home that's integrated into a critical access hospital, those are not going to be cost-based reimbursed services. You, and then a lot of the times you'll have things that you know are just key to the operations of the hospital. 
but they're not necessarily patient specific or there's there's regulations, CMS regulations that don't allow those activities to be accounted for within what would otherwise be unallowable or what would otherwise be allowable. Example of that is a foundation. So if you have employees in a hospital that are operating the foundation, Medicare is not going to allow you to put those costs into allowable activities because they're not really related to patient care and they're not going, Medicare is not going to help fund your fundraising capital campaigns. Yep. Yeah. That looks a little sketchy that you're using taxpayer dollars to raise money for, I mean, it's useful, it's necessary, but uh, yeah, I get it. When hospitals are engaging in those types of activities, those activities get recorded on as a specific cost center in the cost report. And the reason that they have to get reported as a, a separate cost center is because they have to, those um, operations or segments of the hospital have to accumulate all the overhead similar to radiology would or OR would or the med search floor would. So that's why they get set up as a separate cost center, because when we then start allocating administrative and general costs, depreciation, all of those types of things, those non-allowable or non-cost-based areas have to share in the overhead burden, mm, if it makes sense, of the entire facility. Yep. That's one way that unallowable costs are accounted for in a cost report. The other way is we simply remove costs out of the cost report, or we offset revenues associated with those costs. And that's, you'll hear cost report preparers talk about A8 adjustments. That's where all of that happens in the cost report. So an A8 adjustment, there's some prescribed adjustments that Medicare basically says these will almost always be on a, a Medicare cost report. So one of the ones that actually kind of drives me crazy that I, it, it's an outdated uh, reg in my opinion. But did you know that TVs and phones in a patient room are not allowable? Hmm. So they wouldn't the, count them as... Phone surprising. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could see a TV not being a necessary cost, but like phones sure feel like they'd be necessary. And these regs are, I don't know, they're 40, 50 years old, probably. So you never been a phone, but on the other hand, everybody has a cell phone now, right. their own personal cell phones, probably. You would think that a TV in a patient room is critical to someone's well-being. Yeah. Um, just if, if you're stuck in a hospital room for seven days straight and you don't have... Yeah. Any yeah. entertainment. Um, that sounds pretty painful to me. Yep. But anyway, Medicare has made these rules that they felt like many, many years ago that phones and TVs were not important to the well-being of somebody in an inpatient setting. And they said, we're not going to pay for it. It feels a bit like saying your hospital doesn't need this internet thing. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> This newfangled World Wide Web. Yeah, that's crazy. Cause like I, I get where that perspective comes from of like, well, you don't need to be watching the prices right in order to heal from your disease. But also like if you're there for, you know, yeah. extended periods of time to your point, like, you know, just for the well being of the patient, that's kind of important. Very bizarre. Yeah. You know, it's not awesome for my mental health staring at a gray wall for seven days. <laughs> right. They'll hang up some motel art. We'll like it. <laughs> There's also another fund. So we have this thing that we do internally with uh, trainings. And, and one of those 
one of the categories that we cover are the stupidest Medicare rules ever. So <laughs> telephone and TV fall into that area. Another one that's hard to understand is that if, if you came into the ER and ultimately ended up in observation, observation is an outpatient service. And there are intermediaries that all, that will say, if, if you're serving meals to people that are in an observation bed, those meals are not allowable. We're not going to pay for them because they're actually an outpatient and, and it's not a requirement of taking care of those people. So the extreme is we don't need to feed people to keep them healthy, right? <laughs> um, and, and that's true of any outpatient setting. So I think the exception there is that if a provider prescribes a meal to a patient as being critical to their treatment, then it's allowable. But, you know, if you want to just provide really good service and somebody comes out of um, outpatient surgery and happens to just be there at 1130 and, and you wanted to go the extra mile and let them eat lunch, it's not allowable. No, that's for you. So, Sorry. I'm going to write you a prescription for chicken noodle soup. Go get that filled <laughs> at the kitchen. Very interesting. Wow. I think the one you got you got to wonder about these meetings where people sat around and went through and was like, no, no lunch. <laughs> Sorry, that's outpatient. Can't have that. To give you a rundown on some other common areas that we see lobbying. So a lot of the hospital associations have a lobbying component to their dues. Sure. And it, the fee that you pay or your annual membership that you pay to the hospital association, the portion of that due that's related to lobbying is not an allowable cost for a hospital. If the hospital's doing any kind of lobbying, not not allowable. We don't typically see that. The most frustrating thing area, I think, for most hospitals is unallowable advertising because the advertising, the guidance is not great. It's very gray, not black and white at all. So trying to differentiate between what's allowable and what's not is a major challenge. The CMS regs basically say that anything that any advertising where you're trying to drive volumes into your facility is not allowable, which seems counterintuitive too, right? You want your community to know what services you offer. Right. You want them to be familiar with maybe the providers in your community and, and get to know them. And one way to do that is to promote them in your yep. community. But if it's if that advertising is geared towards driving patient volumes, it's not allowed. Hmm. So how do they define that? I mean, I would assume you couldn't have an advertisement that says like, come on in and get your CT scans or something like that. But how do you how do you differentiate? I think the other piece to that to understand is normally things that are promotional in nature are not allowable. <laughs> so if you are if you have this provider and you think they're the greatest thing that's ever happened to your community um, and you are consistently putting advertisements out there to promote all the great accomplishments that they've done and it's geared towards this is why you know you should should select this provider over you know maybe our competitor that kind of stuff you're really promoting that person which CMS kind of frowns upon um, um, now if you said hey Dr. Bob is going to be in town on Monday and Tuesday from 8 to 5 that's allowable because all you're doing is providing information on availability. If you said that Dr. Bob is a specialist in these areas and will be available, is that not allowable because you're talking about things that he specializes in, which could then drive the volume? Or is that you're, the gray area you're talking about? That's the gray area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
that's the gray area. And a lot of the times what, what we find is advertising is dual purpose a lot of the time. So you can educate your community all you want. So if you might have, if you have a clinic, you might say, advertise that we're having a vaccine clinic um, okay. next week. And you may educate the community why it's important to, to come in and get your vaccines. Right. That educational and communicating to the community that uh, of, of the availability of those services is allowed. Mm-hmm. But if you take it an extra step and now you're promoting, you, you put something promotional in there that uh, is basically saying, you know, this is why you should choose us over other competitors. Now you're now you're on the promotional side of it. <laughs> okay. So sometimes you see that kind of stuff where it's almost dual purpose, yeah. where maybe you, then you have to make a judgment call of is it twenty five percent allowable? Is it fifty percent allowable? Come to our hospital, we have cookies, right? Yeah, yeah. And the, there's some also there's also some weird things. So advertising or employees, typically any advertisements that you place for open positions, typically allowable. The one exception is is if you're recruiting a provider into the hospital. So physician recruiting costs is not an allowable activity. So you have to remove all the costs. Medicare is not going to pay for it. Recruiting a provider into a rural health clinic is okay. Mm. So just an example of how complex the rules are. Um, That's so arbitrary. Like that doesn't, that doesn't even make any, I mean, I'm not surprised, but it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You can recruit a network, but not a guy. Right. Right. But, you know, bring in some nurses, not the actual provider, unless you're rural healthcare, then it's okay. The other thing that happens with uh, trying to get to allowable Medicare costs is that if you have revenue streams that are associated with costs that you're claiming that are not, you know, your typical hospital services. So I'm not talking about necessarily uh, patient service revenue. So revenues that are generated in the ER by seeing patients, revenues that are generated in radiology by delivering services. Talking about these kind of one-off things where it's like, oh yeah, we received that payment because we had a provider that you know went to a neighboring hospital and he's their medical director, for example. So now this hospital is paying for costs that are in our cost report, but somebody's already paid for those costs, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah. So in that scenario, you have to reduce those costs by the revenue that was received. Oh, sure. Otherwise, like double dipping, I suppose. Right. Dietary meals is a good example of that. So we have all these costs that it takes to run the dietary department, the cafeteria. When we sell meals in the cafeteria, we have to reduce the costs by the the revenue associated with those meals because Medicare is only going to pay for the net cost. Oh, right. So if you make a profit on it, they're not going to make, they're not going to pay you for the full cost of it if you've actually made money on a portion of it. Okay. Well, stop Um, price judging at the cafeteria. I mean, I don't... (laughs) (laughs) You know, those hospitals just trying to make money off the cafeteria food. It's a racket. (laughs) It's out of control. So what are some of the common misconceptions when it comes to allowable costs? I think the most common misconception is that it's cost-based reimbursement. So a lot of people will believe that if you spend a dollar, you're going to get a dollar. Right. Well, there's a lot of variables in that actually. Um, depends on where you spend that dollar. Okay. 
because remember that your reimbursement is based on the percentage of your Medicare population, not just at the hospital as a, as a whole within each department. So if you spend a dollar in radiology, you're going to get, maybe get more of that dollar back in radiology than you would if you spent it in lab, for example. Then it even gets more complex if you're trying to make a decision to spend a dollar in housekeeping or a dollar in physical therapy, because the dollar in housekeeping gets spread out across all of your service areas. And again, that's one of the great things that the cost report model can do is we can put a we can put fifty thousand dollars into housekeeping because we suddenly you know need to replace something that's relatively expensive or we want to add additional staff mm-hmm. to housekeeping. We can put fifty thousand dollars into the cost report model, and we can tell you how much of that you're going to recover through Medicare. So that's one of the misconceptions is I think people don't, people think at a high level, it's like, well, if I spend a dollar, maybe I'll get 50 cents back. Right. There is no answer to that without going through the process of really looking at how costs get spread across the hospital and the Medicare utilization within each specific area of the hospital. Right. Probably the biggest misconception is that we get a it, Medicare will tell a critical access hospital that they receive 101% of their co- allowable costs. Mm-hmm. That's actually not true because Medicare does start at a 101%, but there's this thing called sequestration that started many, many years ago when the federal government couldn't balance the budget. So what they did is they said, well, we'll just cut everybody's uh, funding by 2%. And sequestration is still in place to this day. So actually what Medicare pays hospitals is 99% of their allowable costs. Cool. Awesome. If you think about that, for every Medicare patient we serve, we're losing 1%. Mm-hmm. So there's there's essentially no way that a hospital can break even on Medicare. Right. Now, but yet, always losing, they're always losing on it some way. Wow, that sucks. And as consultants, we preach the importance of Medicare utilization. And right. the reason is, is because as our Medicare utilization increases, Medicare has to cover more of our allowable costs. And that pulls costs away from other payer sources. Those are not cost-based reimbursed payers, right? But if Medicare, because our Medicare utilization increases, they're paying more of our overall costs, including our fixed costs, mm-hmm. all of our overhead costs. By pushing more Medicare volume, you push more Medicare costs into the Medicare program, and it makes all of your other payers more profitable because you're pulling costs away from those other payers. What a neat system. (laughs) This doesn't sound sketchy at all. Have you ever heard of a business that you would say, let's do more of something that we lose money on every time we engage in that activity? No. I mean, it's like like a lost leader for... uh, for sales, right? Like, yeah. well, we know we're going to lose money for everybody that comes in that redeems this, but they're going to spend something else while we're here. True. It's the, uh, what is it? The Costco hot dog, which has been yeah. $2.50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would like that. Let's compare Medicaid to the Costco hot dog. <laughs> that might be where we're heading. <laughs> So if you were to give um, administration like advice when it comes to allowable costs, what would you tell them? That's a tough one. I know, that's a very broad there's topic. So many, so many variables. I would say make sure that you're not just going through the process of what's required annually to file the cost report. 
make sure that you're engaging as often as you can with your accounting firm when making operational decisions. Because again, for most critical access hospitals, Medicare is a huge portion of your patient population. Mm -hmm. And there are very few management decisions that you're making on a daily basis that in some way doesn't impact your Medicare reimbursement. Right. The more you can engage with your accounting firm and strategize together on where you're going long-term, whether it's adding new service lines, whatever, adding new employees, whatever it is, the more your cost report prepared knows about your strategy internally, uh, the better we can do our job. I would also, with our clients, we try to have at least one meeting uh, shortly after the cost report is filed where all we do is talk strategy on what what could be different in how we're gathering information, how we're allocating costs, because there's a lot of different ways within the Medicare rules to get to an answer. Right. Um, and I think developing a strategy between the hospital and the accounting firm, are that's the key, but you can't be reactive. You've got to be proactive. And I think that's where Anytime I've ever filed a cost report where I was disappointed, it's usually because we weren't proactive enough or the, the hospital wasn't proactive enough to, to prevent something Sure, that had we known six months ago, we wouldn't be in this situation. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're paying your accounting firm for their expertise. You might as well take advantage of them for that knowledge. Um, it'll save you in the long term. That's what they're there for. Makes sense. It makes sense to have that meeting right after filing that cost report right. and then that sting is fresh if something was missed. So you're well, exactly. And all that, all the information um, is fresh in everybody's mind. Um, yeah. yep. So, so did we talk about how those are like those unallowable costs and activities, how they're handled in the cost report? Does that all tie that all together then as well? How we get them into the correct buckets? Yep. So the Medicare cost report, they call them cost centers. Okay. Could be the buckets that we're talking about and each cost center is specifically related to their prescribed cost centers, most of them. Sometimes there's we can modify if there's something unique and, and add a separate cost center. But those are, you know, your routine services that you would see in a hospital. So you're you're going to have the inpatient floor as a cost center. You're going to have the ER as a cost center. Mm -hmm. You're going to have radiology physical therapy, occupational therapy, lab. And then you're going to have also the cost centers related to maybe some of those non-cost-based reimbursed services like the foundation, the assisted living, the nursing home. What the cost report does is it categorizes those costs. It allocates overhead to all of those costs. And then with the AA adjustment schedule that I referenced earlier, that's where we're then taking uh, revenues and offsetting against those costs that accumulate. And that happens at within each cost center. So if, it, if we have something, if we have a outside revenue stream, it's not patient care related for our facility, but it's related to radiology, we reduce all of the costs of rate radiology by that amount. Hmm. If there's something going on in radiology where maybe we, maybe we contract with the neighboring hospital and they use some of the employees in radiology, we either have an option to remove that cost or offset the revenue. Mm. that's received. Those are the buckets that are created. And that's how we get to the net allowable Medicare costs is by looking at each one of those buckets, figuring out what's not allowable, figuring out if there's revenue that needs to reduce those costs. Everything that's left over then gets divided out between Medicare share and what's not Medicare share, okay. which is based on your Medicare volume. So if within each one of those buckets, if 20% of your patient population is Medicare, 
Medicare is going to take that bucket and they're going to pay 20% of those costs. Okay. If it's 50%, they pay 50% of those costs. So does that get back to then, those are the, the last 12 months numbers that they're using to determine those percentages? Yeah, okay. that's exactly right. So like last year, 20% of your population in radiology was Medicare, but then something happens this year and now it's like 80%. Right. Something crazy happened. Yep. And, and you, that can actually happen with these smaller, I mean, that's obviously a little bit extreme, but yeah. with these smaller hospitals, they don't have a lot of volume. So it doesn't take a lot. You could have an additional 100 days, inpatient days with some of these hospitals mm-hmm. that can result in hundreds of thousands of dollars swing yeah. Yeah. either do or do from Medicare or do to Medicare. So it, it doesn't take a lot. I wouldn't think, I mean, you're talking about small population centers. So yeah, hundreds of people, I mean, you, tens of people could make a, a difference. How successful is it usually, I don't know if there's a percentage or whatever, if a hospital does go to the intermediary and say, look, we've got to, we've got to increase our medical reimbursements because things have changed. Um, is that usually a fairly quick process? Does that take a long time? And are they usually pretty successful or is it something that is just a bureaucratic nightmare? It takes a long time and they aren't usually successful in getting that reimbursement increased. You'll always be successful because okay. if a hospital doesn't initiate that process, it's a requirement oh. Oh. that intermediaries go through that process at least once a year. Okay. So you'll always be successful. I would say a lot of the times it could be a three-month process just because a lot of the times the intermediaries are that backlogged. So if you had a request today, it could take three months before they actually adjust your rates. The benefit in that, though, is that they retroactively adjust that rate. So if they've underpaid you for the first six months of the year, they will go back and, and figure out what was due to you over the last six months. So it's not just from that point forward. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would say is with the cost report model, it calculates all of your rates. So when we send the cop, we actually send sections of the cost report model to the intermediary and almost always they come right back with the rates that we have suggested. Okay. So that's even better for a hospital because it takes all of the guessing work out of it. Because I think a lot of the times prior to us, you know, early on in my career, we would use forms that the intermediaries would send out to us, make us complete, and you file it, but you don't know. You have an idea, but you don't know for sure. So the one thing that's really nice about the cost report model is when we file with an intermediary, we know with certainty what your rates are going to be. And we have a pretty good idea of what is due to you, but that will be paid to you or that you know, you'll be paying Medicare. That is nice. That is a good, I mean, yeah, that's a, in this whole not great setup, at least that feels like something that is sort of functioning that they can at least fix if it's something that they're not getting the money that they should be doing. So that three month uh, process too, that I was talking about in setting rates, there's always that thing of, uh, it's always nice to know people. And yeah, we've had hospitals that are really struggling with cash flow. Mm-hmm. And because we've worked with the intermediaries for so long, we know people that we can call and speed up that process if it's if it's critical. Right. So if their cash flow is just tanking and they're, it's becoming a matter of we're not going to be able to keep our doors open if we don't get this going, that is nice to, to have that. Um, all right. You have a magic wand. So uh, you are the uh, Medicare um, fairy and you can make any changes you want to the whole system. Uh, what are, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Like top, I don't know, top two or three changes that you're going to just revamp the system. I don't know if I have an answer to that, honestly. <laughs> um, 
it kind of is the monster that it is. Yeah. You're not just getting rid of all the Medicare Advantage plan commercials or, or changing them. <laughs> well, <laughs> I would say Medicare Advantage, yes. There's something yeah. that needs to happen there. I when you when you asked the question, I was thinking more along the lines of the Medicare cost report, but I I am concerned about these hospitals and the expansion of the Medicare Advantage plans. If there's one thing that I could change today, it would probably be that. Right. And the change would be that it's not fair to the systems that are providing health care when you you can have this kind of loophole where suddenly the the most important person in the system, which are the the hospitals providing the care, suddenly are not going to get paid the way that they should have been paid. There's a reason that these rural facilities are cost-based reimbursed. It's the only way. They're, they don't have enough volume. Okay. It's the only way to have sustainable health care in these small communities. And when you have something like Medicare Advantage plans come in and really take away that lifeline, it's detrimental uh, to these facilities. And if I could change one thing, it would be that that's fine if you want to have a Medicare Advantage plan, but it can't be at the detriment of rural health care. So in turn, those Medicare Advantage plans are going to have some type of settlement process that's similar to your traditional Medicare plans. Yeah, that's totally fair. We can't have it just sort of benefiting consumers, except that then their facilities are accepting those plans. Um, so then they bought into a plan that they can't actually use. So that doesn't actually benefit anybody. And then you're also screwing your facilities. Like, that's not that's not fair. Anything you would change on your allowable costs, that side of things? Are we making TVs uh, necessary? <laughs> TVs, yeah, that would be a good one, I think. <laughs> Is this ridiculous? So let me tell you how ridiculous the TV, sorry, the telephone adjustment is. So the telephone adjustment is this calculation that's just absolutely absurd because you have to figure out how many telephones are in the entire facility. And then you have to figure out how many telephones are in patient rooms. Then you figure out the cost of the telephone and take the percentage of the cost, the telephone costs associated with patient rooms. Then you take it a step further because it's not just the telephone costs. You have uh, people answering the phone and transferring those calls to patient rooms because it's related to transferring a phone call to a patient room, a portion of the wages of the people that are answering the phone and directing calls is also not allowable. All so if, you have of that, an if you have an administrative person who transfers calls to patient rooms, you have to figure out what portion of their salary is not reimbursable by Medicare because telephones. Oh, my God. This sounds like, yeah, this sounds like a bad day on the job. Somebody's just going around counting telephones. And then you yeah. have depreciation possibly associated with the phone system, uh, whatever portion of that's related with patient phones. But yes, it's a like nobody likes it. No, it's absolutely the most ridiculous thing. The calculation is absurd. Like at the end of the day, the, the amount's really small. So why are we why are we going through that? A lot of yeah. power involved for right. right We're quibbling over hundreds of dollars when you're missing the big picture on all of this. That's awesome. What about the cost of the outlet face plates? What machines are getting plugged into the? What percentage of Medicare patients are using those? You would be a phenomenal cost report. Yeah, that's Evan's next is next career step cost report. Oh no, no, thank you. <laughs> I bet your cost reports would look prettier than anybody else's cost reports. Oh, so yeah, I'd, I'd get a nice template set up, you know. <laughs> Now the legal stuff. This podcast and associated communications are intended to provide general information about tax, finance, investment, and other financial matters. Although Casey Peterson LTD has made every reasonable effort to ensure that the information provided is accurate, 
We make no warranties, express, or implied. Be aware that this is not a comprehensive analysis of the subject matter covered. It is not intended to provide specific recommendations to you or your business. Investment advisory services are offered through Vantix Planning Partners. Commission-based securities products are offered through Vantix Investment Services. Member F-I-N-R-A-S-I-P-C. Discern services are offered through licensed agents of Vantix Planning Partners. 3200 Olympus Boulevard, Suite 100, Dallas, Texas, 75019. The Vantix entities are independent of and unrelated to CPS Financial Services, LLP. Although Vantix does not provide or supervise tax or accounting services, our financial professionals may offer these services through an independent outside business. Not all financial professionals are licensed to offer all products or services. Financial planning and investment advisory services require separate licenses. Okay, Hillary, are you ready for a knock-knock joke this week? Oh, am I ever. Knock-knock. Right, who is there? Hippa. Hippa who? Sorry, I can't tell you. Ha, 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 ha.